Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Joy of Financial Planning podcast. The topics of this podcast are a complement to the book, Joy of Financial Planning, available in stores including Barnes & Noble and Amazon.com. Joy of Financial Planning is about the belief that we can overcome the unique economic and life challenges we face as a generation by first getting our financial house in order. In fact, we have no other choice. Now more than ever, we must grow our wealth, follow our passions, live with compassion, and find a way to achieve a personalized version of the American dream. Just as it has been in prior generations, the ideal of the American dream is being challenged, not just because of the novel coronavirus pandemic, but because of the callous murder of a fellow black man, George Floyd, that we all got to see. The example of his abuse, and that of many others, cuts through the core of the American dreams I have believed in all of my life. I have a persistent belief that all are created equal, worthy of respect, deserving of opportunity, and the ideals of the American dream live inside all of us. I thank you for supporting dreams, your dreams, by listening to this podcast. The purpose of this content is to educate listeners and for them to inform others. This episode is part of a series of recorded Zoominars from my Jason Howell Company YouTube channel. That's where you'll find the video versions. In my business life, my wealth management firm collaborates with many experts. Together, we transform regular investors into patriarchs and matriarchs of their families and their communities. This episode features some of that expertise. Please send your feedback to jason at jasonhowell.com and give this episode a rating, especially on Apple Podcasts, if that's the kind of thing you do. For more about my unique brand of family wealth management, just go to jasonhowell.com. And now, leaving your legacy with Community Foundations with Eileen Ellsworth, President and CEO of the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of the Jason Howell Company Speaker Series Zoominars. My name, of course, is Jason Howell, and I'm always happy to share my network, not only with my Jason Howell Company clients, but of course, all of you. Today, we've got a great program. We're going to be talking about the Community Foundation and some of the work that they've been doing all year long. And this has been a ridiculously difficult, challenging, weird year. So the stuff that they've been doing has been so important here in Northern Virginia and beyond. We've got the president and CEO of the Community Foundation here, and our focus is gonna be on permanent funds. What you and I can do, not only during our lifetimes, but well beyond that with the tools of permanent funds at Community Foundations. But before we get into all of that, let's be polite. Let's meet and greet our guests, Ms. Eileen Ellsworth, CEO and President, or President and CEO of the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia. Eileen, how has your day been? Hi, Jason, how are you? <laughs> My day's been great. Um, today in particular, I was spending a lot of time on my volunteerism. I'm on the board of directors of the um, Northern Virginia Chamber of Commerce and there was a board meeting there this morning. And then I'm also a volunteer on the Go Virginia um, 
board. Some of you may be familiar with Go Virginia. It's an initiative that was established by Governor McAuliffe um, to help spur economic development in the nine regions across the Commonwealth. And I sit on that board too. <laughs> and then the rest of the day was spent reviewing the draft of a affordable housing report that we're gonna be issuing in a few weeks um, through Insight Region, our new center for community research. I'll tell you a little bit more about later. So yeah, busy day. How about you? How was your day? <laughs> I don't think I did half of that. Um, I, I sat at my computer and okay. I on my keyboard. Yeah. And, uh, maybe had a, a couple little meetings, but nothing as impressive. Uh, that, this is why we're so excited to have you here today mm -hmm. to share some of the work that you're doing, the organization that you're with is doing, um, the organizations that you support are doing. It's just mm -hmm. fantastic. So thank you for being here. Well, oh, my my pleasure. You're, thank you. Um, I've let in a few of the folks here, and as they come on, I will continue to let people in. If any of you have questions for Eileen, just put them in the chat, and we will get to those questions before we get to our questions. Even if we're in the middle of our questions, we'll go ahead and stop and switch to yours because um, we're just so happy that you're here. With that, I'm going to go ahead and share my screen, and we will get going. Okay, everyone, if you came to Leaving a Legacy with Community Foundations, you came to the right Zoominar. We are very happy to have Mrs. Eileen Ellsworth, President and CEO of the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia to talk with us about this topic of permanent funds and, and many other things. But before we get to that, let's get a word from our sponsor. And our sponsor, of course, is the Chase and Howell Company, a family wealth management firm that focuses on sustainable investing and really helping people live their values through their money. You know, this has been a pretty difficult year for, I think, almost all of us. All of us have felt some kind of pain some way. And when we sat down and thought in our firm what we could do to be a part of the good, uh, the kind of good that Community Foundation is a part of, we said, let's really transform the way that we invest and the way our clients can interact with their money and their causes. And so we have the Community Foundation here for folks who are willing and ready to donate. Um, our organization is on the back end of that when they're getting to the point that they can accumulate the funds to donate. Uh, between our organizations, I think there's a lot of good we can do in the community, not only in Northern Virginia, but throughout. So with that, I'm gonna transition to a great firm uh, the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia, I just thought this vision, building a community that works for everyone, uh, that's just a, a fantastic ideal for a mission. And so thank you for that Community Foundation, Eileen. And since, as I mentioned to Eileen, uh, they probably spent a lot of time and money on this mission. Eileen, actually, I'll let you read this mission out to us. Go right ahead. <laughs> Well, you know, we, um, vision statements are supposed to be bigger, you know, more aspirational. Um, mission statements are supposed to really direct what you do every day. And we are in the business of philanthropy. So our mission is to grow philanthropy that responds to need, seeds innovation, and leads and convenes the community. Oh, there you go. And in that response to need, um, there is a little yeah. trigger of how we respond to need. You know, this has been the kind of year where if you're a leader, time to step up. And I think the yeah. Community Foundation has shown that. They've shown this mission of theirs to respond. Eileen, tell us a little bit about what you've done with the foundation uh, in response to COVID-19. 
You know, um, we stood up the COVID-19 response fund for Northern Virginia, I think it was March 13th. So it was, it was that week, you know, when um, the impact of the virus was just sort of starting to seep into all of our consciousness and what it could possibly mean. And uh, in the 15 years I've been at the Community Foundation, um, our region has never really had a crisis that it needed to respond to, right? So Katrina, you know, down, down in New Orleans, their community foundation had that to respond to and, and other disasters of that sort. But here in Northern Virginia, in the 15 years I've run it, we, we never actually had a crisis. So we didn't know what the community would do when we stood up um, the COVID-19 response fund uh, and we hoped for the best, but didn't know. So we seeded it with about $100,000 of our own unrestricted assets. And to make a long story short, we ended up raising 2.3 million. Is that, it was actually wow. than what this slide said. I should have changed. Number. Um, and we're about to give the last $200,000 out the door, but 2.1 million turned around and went back out the door very, very quickly. So within one week of us standing up the fund, um, we got $100,000, which every dime of it had been given by Amazon. Amazon made a significant wow. gift local community foundations. Um, and we turned it right back out the door to local food pantries. Then two weeks later, we did a round for about $240,000 all around basic needs assistance and emergency financial assistance, uh, for rent, you know, um, payments that would prevent utility cutoffs. Um, by the time round three came along, COVID-19 was overwhelming the free and reduced fee clinics, and it was impacting their ability to provide day-to-day healthcare, mental healthcare, dental healthcare. Also at that point, we were all hearing stories of an increase in domestic violence because of the lockdown orders that were pervasive across the state and our country. So round three was $715,000 to um, primary um, health care, mental health care, and dental health care uh, services for our lowest income residents, plus funding for organizations helping victims of domestic abuse. Round four came along. It was about $300,000. It went to five intermediary organizations across our entire region. We serve all of Northern Virginia, Fairfax, Loudoun, Prince William, Arlington, Alexandria, and the cities therein. And um, the second round of layoffs had hit. So people were individually suffering and we wanted to get money down to individuals. And we picked five intermediary nonprofits to help us with that process. And then finally, by the time round five came along, the murder of George Floyd had occurred and we decided to distribute the balance of that $2.1 million to 22 organizations all of them in Northern Virginia, all of them advocacy and policy organizations for minority businesses that they represented. And they, those organizations are really on the front line of not one, but two crises, COVID-19 and racial injustice and inequity. So um, that's the story of our COVID-19 response fund. We, we got gifts from companies and individuals that had had no prior relationship with us at all, as well as gifts from just stalwart donors that we've known forever. One in particular was utterly remarkable. It came from um, a company that uh, is insisting on anonymity. <laughs> I, will not, I will not state the company's name, but it was a, um, a foundation that was affiliated with a corporation here locally. 
they called us up out of the blue and they said, you know, we've been watching you. (laughs) We've never made a gift to the community foundation. We've thought of it many times, but we've decided this is going to be the the year we do something significant. And they wrote a check for half a million dollars to the COVID-19 response fund. Um, We took no fee on all of this work, none. And um, we engaged in what's known as rapid, uh, rapid grant response making because Um, You just don't have the same time, you know, to consider things. So I think we got about 85% of it right in the time that we had. We did our very best. But we have heard from from the 110 nonprofits that received gifts from the COVID-19 response fund that it wasn't just the money or the amount of the money or the amount of the grants that they got. It was when they got it that made the difference. Mm. In that first six-week period between March, that week in March, and later on in April and beginning of May, before government at any level could act. So our ability to respond rapidly meant a lot to this community, and we're, we're happy we, we could. And it says a lot about what a community foundation can do. The government yeah. response was actually very fast. It took seven months for the first bit of government response back in 2008-9 uh, to get something going. And this was actually very fast. The first CARES Act stuff came in within a month and change, but that's still not necessarily fast enough. And you need organizations like this. I just find that amazing. $2.1 million starts coming in sometime after March 13th, and it's pretty much gone through and enacted, um, you know, before. In six weeks, six to eight weeks, it was gone. Wow. Um, And that really helped. You know, we were all afraid and we didn't know what was going to happen. Nonprofits, like every other business, saw their business model shifting right before their eyes. They didn't know they were going to be able to continue their services. No no one really understood what this was all going to mean. But this level of support from our community that we were able to distribute helped them get through the worst weeks. And, and we're all figuring it out now still, but I think things are um, more hopeful right now. Well, yeah, let's, let's see what we can do. Uh, I really also appreciated, you know, just sort of these three strands of information. So I'll let the folks who are watching read it, but I think it's meaningful. I know it's meaningful and I'm glad the organization is focused on these areas. But let's talk about someone really fun, right? Let's talk about ourselves. Let's talk about Eileen. Um, <laughs> Eileen is the president and CEO of this fine organization. She has been for a little while now. Now, she hasn't been there all 42 years, um, but she's been doing great work since 2005, which is fascinating. Um, Eileen's been a big part of setting up some of these funds that you see in bold here, community investment funds, innovation fund this business women's giving circle, an environmental fund, this arts fund, um, you know, the permanent fund, which is the subject of our conversation today. Can you tell us a little bit about the Insight Region, the Center for Community Research, Eileen? Yes. So um, there, you know, community foundations really have a unique role to play. They're the voice of independent community, right? You've seen our vision statement and you've seen our mission. And our whole reason for being is simply to strengthen, support, and make more equitable our region in Northern Virginia. Um, And so we have no other ax to grind or agenda, (laughs) you know? Um, and, And when you want to more deeply understand a local problem, it's hard to find a representative of independent community to look at it, you know? 
this is a, um, a wonderful opportunity for community foundations and for the community in general to have a community foundation stand up a center. It's basically a data and data analysis center. Its goal is to help, more, uh, help us all more deeply understand um, our greatest challenges and opportunities here in Northern Virginia. And we, the tool we want to use in Insight Region is not philanthropy. We, we, are, we are and always have been and always will be a philanthropic foundation that's building philanthropic assets and making grants, right? We wanted this tool, however, to be data, data and data analysis so that we all better understand the region. Yeah, well, that's helpful. And trust Northern Virginia <laughs> put a data center together. Of course, we would do that. Why yes. would we not? Uh, and, so and go I, ahead. Just wanna, I just want to mention, Jason, we just recently hired our new senior director. Um, oh, okay. With Hughes. She, she came to us, <coughs> I'm sorry, in early September. Um, she came to us right from her own um, consulting company. And immediately prior to that, she was with the Pew Charitable Trusts. So Elizabeth is not only um, data analyst, she's a data analyst that has spent some significant time in the social sector, which I think makes her particularly suited for the position. Sounds like a great hire, great hire. Yeah. You're also a, a part of a few other organizations, uh, Northern Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Yes. In your regional board, George Mason University, and what they do is, is being a part of those organizations, you know, part of helping you with your work on community foundation, and or are there just passions that you, you know, are interested in scratching by being a part of those groups? Yeah, so um, the chamber, I've been involved with them for 15 years, and they've taught me so much about economic development um, and the needs of the business community. And in my mind, it's all connected, you know, yeah. be economic development, um, what's happening in the government sector, the private sector and the social sector is, uh, is all connected. And it all has to do with how we can build a community that works for everyone. So I love the perspective, um, relationships and just knowledge I gain from being a part of the Northern Virginia Chamber of Commerce. Um, the Northern Virginia Regional Board, that's actually what I mentioned earlier. It's, it's the Go Virginia, Northern Virginia Regional Board. So I'm learning a lot about investments that the state is making possible in our region for economic development through that. I just re recently um, took over their program committee, which is a ton of work, which means I, uh, me and my oh, no. read all of the applications um, for, for funding. And we've, gave, we've given some significant, we, we've, uh, we've approved some very significant grants there recently. Um, and then I am on the advisory board for George Mason University Center for Innovation and Entrepreneurship, which has also been, um, talk about seeding innovation. You know, that's a, that's a phrase in our mission statement. Uh, they have what's called the Mason Innovation Lab there. And they, they've just done some incredibly innovative things around um, business incubators and accelerators for George Mason University students and alumni. And just their passion behind that, their inspiration, their innovation is just, I think it's unmatched in the region. So it's really fun being on that advisory board. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my volunteerism in a nutshell. 
Well, that's my alma mater, George Mason University. So whenever you want to wax poetic about your work there, you've got a home <laughs> here to come in and talk about it. Um, thank you for your service there. And then can yeah. you give the uh, listeners just a little window into uh, earlier stage Eileen? You did yes. years yeah. of law firm or law firms and organizations. What, what was that life like? Yeah, I, I spent 20 years practicing law, um, 13 of it in private practice, doing commercial litigation in um, Connecticut and New York. And then six years in-house with a technology company in Reston after we, we moved here to Northern Virginia. So I had a 20-year career practicing law and um, just changed my stripes, you know, mid, mid-career, uh, uh, which in a phrase that sounds simple, but in reality it was not. But the only reason, as I've said, I was able to do it, I've said this many times, is I had a husband that continued to work while I had my midlife crisis. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, uh, a remarkable opportunity for me to be able to pursue something that I'm just passionate about. Oh, I'm sure, sure. All of those, that time in law has prepared you in ways that we probably don't understand for being as successful as you've been with these organizations. Yeah. That legal background is, as I'm sure some of the folks here know, I, I bet there are some folks on this that have a legal background whether you continue to practice law or not, it really shapes you in a way that's both conscious and unconscious. There isn't a day goes by when I don't, I don't use my legal training for something or another. I don't, I do not uh, serve in the role of legal counsel for the community foundation at all. We have a general counsel for that. It's McGuire Woods, but just the way you're taught to analyze and evaluate and synthesize things, I think um, comes in handy no matter what you do. I believe that. I believe that. Well, let's go right ahead to the heart of our conversation here. Let's talk about permanent funds. Let's talk about how they work with our legacies and what we all try to do with our money in the long term. Can you just explain for the listeners, what is exactly a permanent fund? Right. So um, I think the best way to explain it is to think of it this way. Many of us are familiar with endowments, And um, I think probably the place where we're most familiar with them is our alma maters, right? Our our universities that we've attended, they're always asking us for contributions to the university's endowment, museums build endowments, um, et cetera. So uh, some community foundations have adopted this idea and um, applied it to the greater community. And we call it the permanent fund. It's basically, an endowment for the community, right? It's an endowment for Northern Virginia and it has to live somewhere. So it's, it's going to live at the community foundation, but it exists to benefit Northern Virginia, both now and in the future, which is what makes it permanent. Oh, that's terrific. Uh, thank you for explaining that. Now, how does establishing a permanent fund differ from a donor advised fund? Right. So they're all donor created, every one of them, right? Um, But a donor advised fund exists to manifest the philanthropy of the donor or donors that have established them. So if you establish a donor advised fund, I call it all the fun of grant making, none of the work. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, you don't have to start a private foundation. You don't have to run a private foundation, convene a volunteer board of directors, file an annual 990, none of that. You can simply make a donation um, to a new fund uh, that we established by an agreement, uh, a very simple standard agreement, and make your donation into that fund and then use that fund 
for your own philanthropic giving, right? In amounts that you designate to the organizations that you care about. So that manifests your philanthropy. Permanent funds, on the other hand, are donations made by donors to this endowment, knowing that it's going to be the community foundation that uses it to help build a community that works for everyone, right? It's going to be part of the community foundation's grant making, not just today, but like I, I like to say, 100, 100 years from now, because it's an endowment. So it's going to last forever. Now, these don't have to be, you know, separate and apart. If you're, if I'm Jason Howell, I might be able to do both. Tell us that anecdote, if you don't mind, about the person who was using a donor advice fund and then transitioned to a permanent fund. That was a great story. Yeah, I mean, there's a number of ways to develop the permanent fund. It's actually a collection, right, of funds. Um, we use We use a singular term to refer to it, the permanent fund but it's actually a collection of several funds. So one way some donors have set up permanent funds at our community foundation is they've actually started with a donor advice fund. Um, and I was telling Jason when he and I were talking about this event that um, there's a fund at our organization. It's pretty substantial. It's, it's about $2 million. It predated me. So it's been at the community foundation now for about 18 years. And um, the donor was always very disciplined in his giving. He, he always, always gave what could be given um, from the endowment every year, once a year. We'd get together, we'd talk about the causes that he cared about, and he'd make a series of grants from this endowment. And because it, it, it's been managed by our community foundation, uh, our investment committee, it's done very well. So it's still worth about $2 million, you know, 18 years later. Wow. He's had a lot of fun with that uh, donor advice fund, but he's getting on in years now and recently said to me um, that he's leaving it. He's leaving the balance to the community foundation to become a part of the permanent fund. And the way he put it is, I've had my fun with it. Now it's your turn, right? <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> I, I've had my fun with it. Yeah. And he did, you know, he, he enjoyed every minute of that donor advice fund. He enjoyed the interplay with our staff. He enjoyed benefiting the nonprofits he cared about. You know, he enjoyed the discussions with my staff when he wanted more input about this, that, or the other. He's really had a good time with the donor advice fund. And um, he, he just doesn't feel the need any longer to recommend his own grants from it. He knows that we are going to use it as part of the permanent fund. And he knows that we're, we're going to use it in ways that complement, if not actually reflect or mirror the kind of philanthropy he engaged in during his life. Um, so yeah, it, it, that's one way to create a permanent fund is just transition your donor advised fund to a permanent fund. That is certainly one way to do it. And maybe I'll go out of order on these questions. Is that part of the benefit of you know, having that transition opportunity with a community foundation like CF Nova that you can make that transition, you can have the fun, and then you can know it's going to be used in a positive way after you're gone. Yeah, and in a positive way for your community, right? Community foundations are, by their nature, local. Uh, you know, we don't try to be anything other than all we can be for Northern Virginia, but it's all about Northern Virginia. So if you've... Um, you know, if you've worked here, if, if you've raised your family here, if your kids have participated in these first rate schools that the region makes available, the parks, the recreation, you know, 
many of our donors started their businesses here, grew their businesses here, really feel that they made their wealth here. Um, and so they want to benefit Northern Virginia and they want to see it continue to grow and thrive. And I think that's a tremendous benefit of having a DAF, a donor advice fund at your local community foundation, because if you want, you can transition it to a permanent fund and leave a lasting legacy in your name or in your family's name for the region. So we will account for your fund forever in your name. It'll be a part of our um, annual report forever. It'll be, you know, it, it, it's just a great deal if you, if you want to be remembered for giving to the region. Now, there's a question here in the chat. I'm going to read it for you. Are permanent fund donations driven by the wishes of the donors or driven by the priorities of the community foundation? If the former, how do you oversee donor intent? So um, the answer to that question is both. And we give our donors to the permanent fund an option of designating a field of interest. So um, for example, we have um, we've, we've established permanent fund endowments that benefit uh, the environment or the arts or child and youth development or animal rights or innovation. <laughs> um, and we'll work with the donor to very carefully craft that field of interest so that they know the organization's grants from that fund will forever reflect their philanthropic field of interest. After that, however, it's up to the community foundation's board and staff over time to make sure that that donor intent is honored and that the grants that go out from that fund are in accordance with those donor wishes. The beauty of it is a hundred years from now, the community foundation is going to be making grants from that fund in that same field of interest, you know? And, um, and I think that's one of the, that one of the huge benefits you're buying by, by using the community foundation. Well, and one thing that, that I, you know, learned along the way in working with George Mason and some of the funds that, you know, our alumni board set up. Yeah. The reality that, as you mentioned, that one gentleman who had a, you know, $2 million for 18 years, you know, kind of didn't go anywhere. You have the appreciation of the fund, but you must have must some have arithmetic. Some that says there's only this portion of it that we spend. And so right. that is some like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that is set by what's known as a spending policy. And our spending policy right now um, is the same as it's been for 15 years. It's 5% of the value of the endowment gets spent. And we've looked at that from time to time and not infrequently. Um, there have been some pretty vigorous debates at the investment committee level on whether or not to drop it to 4%, which many community foundations did, um, or even increase it. But we decided to leave it at 5%. It's, it's a standard in the industry. Um, it's also a standard in places like universities and, and museums. It, it hedges your bets, right? You're not spending too much when, um, when the market is going down and yet you're, you're spending enough, you know, as the market's going up, it sort of hedges, hedges your bets. You stick to 5% and the endowment, uh, if it's well, if it's well invested, will, will do well, will do well over time. 
Yeah, that, that's also a financial advisor industry standard. The 4% rule is what they call it. And so if you want to do yeah. some quick math on figuring out how much money you need to save to retire, according to the 4% rule, you know, think about 4% of whatever your lump sum is and ask yourself, can I live off of that? If not, right. save a little more. <laughs> Right. right. <laughs> um, well, oh, let's get back to this question list here, which are pretty, I think, straightforward for you. Can you just yeah. share some examples of permanent funds at CFO? Yeah. Yes. Um, so sometimes permanent funds are established by gifts that are made by donors during their life. And some of those gifts are large and some of those gifts are very small. And we're we're delighted to have all of them. Right. Mm. Um, because we're in this for the long haul. We're here to build endowments for the future of the region. Uh, again, I think that's something that sets us apart um, is, is how long we can hang with this process, right? So for example, um, the Environment Fund. The Environment Fund was established by one donor a couple of years ago. She actually ended up giving us half a million dollars because in her, in her mind, that was a decent size endowment at 5% per year, it's $25,000, right? Yeah. So every year the Community Foundation pretty much can deploy $25,000 from the Environment Fund to the nonprofits in the region that are helping to protect and preserve the natural environment in Northern Virginia or helping to educate folks about the need to protect and preserve the natural environment in Northern Virginia. She did not, she decided not to name that fund after herself. Um, and that was a choice we gave her, but she's, She's anonymous. She really protects her anonymity. She didn't want anybody to know she had done this. So we, we all agreed we would just call it the Environment Fund. Well, as a result, it's starting to attract other donors. So recently we met a woman who has decided to leave um, about $700,000. I'm just not exactly sure of the amount. It's gonna be somewhere between half a million and 700,000. It's in a trust. And she's going to leave that to um, the Environment Endowment. And she's going to leave it, um, obviously, as part of her estate. So there's an example of someone that's going to help us um, with an asset when she passes. Also, um, there are some younger folks in the region that care very passionately about the environment, right? Yeah. And they know, that they know that we have this endowment and that we're trying to build it into something more significant over time. And some of them just make gifts, you know, right, right into the endowment. And if it's $25 a month, it's $25 a month. They know that when you add all that up, um, you're just building a really significant fund that's going to make a difference in the future. Because 5% of that number is going to get bigger and bigger. That's right. That's right. It's going to get bigger and bigger. So that's one example. Um, another example is the Ross Roberts Fund for the Arts. And uh, Steve Roberts was a donor advised fund holder at our community foundation for many years, but he has decided to set up a separate fund. Um, and we're calling it the Ross Roberts Fund for the Arts. That's his name and his, and his um, now deceased wife's name, who were both passionately in love with the performing arts, you know? Mm. So during Steve's life, he is making gifts to this arts fund from his IRA, um, doesn't need the IRA. And so he's making gifts from that um, to, to this fund. But he has promised a gift, a multi-million dollar gift, again, upon his passing that will build a much a bigger, more sustainable endowment. And um, he, he wanted to name the fund 
because he wanted a legacy in both his name and his wife's name. And we, we welcome that, you know, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. Um, we also have an endowment to benefit military personnel and their families, half a million dollars. It was set up by two board members in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, when um, veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars were um, coming home and, and here with just grievous wounds. Um, so that, that was a moment in time for that philanthropy. And to this day, we make $25,000 grants from that fund as well. Have um, folks that have promised us uh, permanent fund um, endowments for um, animal rights, for children and youth, for poverty relief, you know, nothing but basic needs assistance for the folks in the region who most desperately need the help. Um, our innovation fund is really interesting. You know, that was established by a board member who actually gave us a $250,000 matching gift. And he meant it when he said matching. Oh. <laughs> he would only, you know, he, he, if we raised a dollar, he'd give us a dollar up to $250,000. Okay. We, we actually managed to meet the whole thing. It was a year long campaign, but we did it. And so now we have a, a $500,000 uh, $500, endowment for innovation. And we say that that is going to benefit ideas in the region that are um, obviously innovative, creative, new ways of thinking about solving complex social issues. Wow. Um, that's really, I really love that fund because of its flexibility, you know? Um, but we have promised him this, that it's going to be something that supports a new idea that is, that is really promising. Um, and maybe it's new to the region, right? Or maybe it's just a flat out new idea that we think can really make a difference. You know, there are so many people that start nonprofits. That's why we have so many of them. I know there is a, a little bit of a word in the community around, you know, don't start one, like join one and, and be a part of one. How yeah. does though, a, maybe a new person who has a nonprofit or, or someone that's in a legacy nonprofit, but doesn't have the education of what a community foundation does. How do they know to access the resources available in the community foundation? Well, I, I, that one on you. I, I apologize. Yeah, no, 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 that's okay. I mean, obviously we give a lot of thought to this. I mean, our signature grant cycle is called the community investment fund grant cycle. And it happens every spring. Um, it's basic needs meeting the most critical needs of the region. That's all it is. And it's our biggest grant cycle by far. We attract four times the number of grant applications than we can fund with these endowments. Four times. Wow. Right? So it's not like, uh, it's not like we're meeting the need out there by any means and not by any means. So um, I would say this, you're never going to stop the creation of new nonprofits that are perhaps duplicative of existing nonprofits. And the reason for that is it's, it's often an endeavor of the heart. Yeah. <laughs> People want to make a difference and they want to dedicate their lives to something meaningful. And so they start a nonprofit. If it's not duplicative, they, they actually have a shot at building it into something significant. If it is duplicative, who are we to say? 
you know, market forces come to bear on nonprofits the same way they come on, they come to bear on for-profits. And if someone has built a better mousetrap in the, in the nonprofit space and end up attracting more donors and therefore having a greater impact, good for them. <laughs> the, the strength of the, of the permanent fund is that it anticipates a changing future because no one can predict the exact nature of the challenges that are going to arise in the future of Northern Virginia, right? But the permanent fund is there to assess them as they arise and to address them as they arise. It is, it's like a, it's like a funding runway. You're actually giving the community a funding runway. Um, it, it's just priceless in that regard. I think the way foundations deal with the proliferation of nonprofits in general, the way our peers all talk about it, is this. You want your, your, grant, your grants to have the greatest impact, right? Period. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, that means supporting existing, impactful, longstanding, and extremely well-managed local nonprofits, but that's not always the 100% solution. Every now and then a nonprofit gets started and it just takes off. And it takes off because it's actually meeting a bona fide interest or a bona fide need in Northern Virginia. And that gets the attention of local funders, right? Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, you said it's hard to predict, but I'm going to ask you um, at least my last question about a prediction, uh, which is how do you see philanthropy uh, changing locally in light of 2020, in light of COVID-19? Um, that That's a really, really good question. I think it's going to change for a while in phases. So when the virus first hit, Um, the reaction of the private sector mostly was to withdraw because it would be very hard for them to justify giving money to charities when they were laying off their own employees, right? You really take care of yourself. You have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can help anybody else. So the first couple of months of the pandemic, um, I would say philanthropy withdrew, uh, you know, donor advice fund creation slowed drastically. Giving to the COVID-19 response fund, whoa, like that was just a flood. People wanted to help, were looking for a way to do so, saw this as an option, you know, easy, easy. Yeah. top of mind, right? The, there isn't a personal lie that the virus hasn't impacted. It, it, it is hardly an issue that is confined to any particular group of human beings, right? It, it has affected all of us. So individual giving went through the roof in 2020, through the roof. And now corporate giving is coming back. Um, so I think I think it, it ebbs and flows. And I also feel like 2020 and the virus was a real moment for philanthropy. Um, because it gave philanthropy a chance to to really step up. It, it gave philanthropy a chance to not only step up, but to push um, push on some agendas around equity and social justice, right? With the murder of George Floyd, uh, I mean, wow. I, I spent the summer yeah. task force with other community foundations 
a very small group of us that was convened by a group called CFON, the Community Foundation Opportunity Network. And all we did was talk about how community foundations could do a better job of funding in the lane of racial justice and equity. And the, I think the, the phrase we came up with was, what can philanthropy do to dismantle structural racism? You know, So it's become part of our lexicon. It's become a key funding priority, something that we're all looking at, thinking about, um, and, 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 want, and want to continuously push on. You don't want this to just fade, right? You, you, right. And it will, it will, because as time goes by and it's not top of people's mind anymore, it tends to fade. But the economic case for inclusivity has been made. And I can tell you the data there is so compelling. So we have this annual conference that we call Shape of the Region. And all it does is talk about, all we do is present data around the economic case for inclusion and economic mobility. And I think that is another way that philanthropy can, can, can help level the playing field here. The economic case for inclusion. For inclusion. Yeah, uh, great phrase. Um, well, everyone brace yourselves. I'm gonna stop the share. And we're going to go to our regular faces. And so hopefully that's okay by you. Um, this has been very educational, very helpful. Uh, I hope it's been a value to everyone who's been watching and everyone who will watch this going forward. But Eileen, before we close out uh, this mm -hmm. wonderful Zoominar, would you just give us a, a nugget that we can take with us as we think about permanent fund work and permanent fund donations. Maybe tell us a little bit about the, the least amount that we could do to get started and, um, and really how that impact to make a difference in our own lives as we you know, give instead of um, just sort of thinking about our, our normal day to day. Yeah, I, I would say this, that um, I think a lot of people want to engage in philanthropy, um, but one of the things that holds them back is they just don't know how much is enough, right? Like what will have an impact? So it kind of stops them dead in their tracks um, and, they, and they, don't, they don't engage the way that they would like to. I don't think there's any better way to engage in philanthropy, whether you have a little to give, a lot to give or anything in the middle, then help your local community foundation build permanent community endowments. It is, it is literally, no matter how, no matter what the size of your gift is, it is you are helping to shape the future of the region with that gift. And I'm inspired by that every day. And our permanent fund donors are inspired by that too. They feel that that answers that question for them, that they are actually help building a foundational tool that is will be there for, for decades, if not centuries to come, um, to help meet the needs, interests, and challenges of the region. And I think that would be my final thought I would leave with you. Decades to come for the benefit of the region. Yeah. Fantastic. Eileen Ellsworth, President and CEO of the Community Foundation for Northern Virginia, former lawyer, <laughs> no longer a lawyer, still out there doing great things uh, throughout the region with business, with government, and of course with nonprofit. Thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you uh, sharing your time today. 
Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. See you again. Bye-bye. Bye now.